This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to another episode of Culture Code. I'm very excited because our guest today is the Chief People Officer at Denali Therapeutics, Cindy Dunkel. Cindy, welcome. And where are you joining us from today? Great to be with you, Kevin. And I am joining from our office in South San Francisco, California. South San Francisco. I just came back this week from spending a month in San Jose, there's this crazy shopping district called Santana Row. I don't know if you know it, Cindy. <laughs> oh, yes. It blew my mind. I was living above it for about a month. I just came back this week. And it's kind of like a retail Disneyland. Like everything's fake. Everything's commercial. And I loved it. Like 30 restaurants and bars, high-end retail. I saw them mopping the sidewalks early in the morning. It was crazy. Never saw anything like it. So do you ever go there and hang out? Oh, there's Santana Row. There are multitudes of these opportunities in the Bay Area and well beyond the scope of the tech and Silicon Valley and the biotech community. We have fabulous shopping, fabulous people with lots of ideas that come from all different parts of the world. This is the place to be. So talent, fashion, food. Yes, this is the place to be. Why we love our home so much. It was the first time, so Philadelphia is my home, but we have a lot of customers in the Bay Area. So I'm like, let me just spend a month to make the rounds. And I'll tell you, next year, I'm going to spend two months because it's a lot more fun than Philadelphia. So anyway, let's start at the beginning. So for those who aren't familiar with Denali Therapeutics, tell us a little bit about what do you guys do? How big are you? Absolutely. What I would call, and obviously from a biased perspective, a very special organization that was founded in 2015 as an emerging biotech with really a singular mission to defeat degeneration. And we feel that we're at the forefront of some breakthroughs in neuroscience, which holds a promise to really revolutionize treatments for lysosomal storage diseases, such as Hunter syndrome, uh, rare neurodegenerative diseases, which may be known as ALS and FTD, Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's, all the easy ones, right? We're a team of 450 based in South San Francisco, as well as have site presence in Zurich, Switzerland, to really deepen our commercial and our clinical development capabilities and patient advocacy efforts. And recently, a site in Salt Lake City to expand our internal capabilities for clinical manufacturing. Kevin, it's neurodegeneration is presenting our society with a tremendous challenge um, to care for people and treat people living with these chronic and often devastating diseases. And recent insights into genetic causes and biological processes underlying neurodegenerative diseases offer an unprecedented opportunity um, for discovery and development of effective medicines. We feel that the time is right, and we liken our journey to climbing a mountain, thus the name Denali, which captures the formidable challenge in fighting neurodegenerative diseases, but also really the unprecedented opportunity that is enabled by these new scientific insights and technologies. And you can see I'm very passionate about this, but we feel that we have a, you know, a relentless and committed team and rigorous efforts that were blazing trails toward a future where degeneration is finally defeated. We have currently seven molecules in, in clinical development including four therapies and late-stage clinical programs for ALS, Hunter, Parkinson's um, disease. And, you know, underlying this progress are our core scientific principles, which are 
rooted in new insights into the genetics and neurodegeneration and proprietary technology to deliver protein-based medicines to the brain and biomarker-driven development. So obviously a very special company doing important work. I assume you have a special culture to go along with such a special company. Try to uh, describe it for me. Well, when you're doing these really difficult and rigorous, attacking these rigorous approaches, I would say in a few words, it's connected, it's fast-paced, it's collaborative, and you know, just truly a continuous focus on the patients. Those are just a few words. I say broadly, you know, the culture at Denali is is really deeply mission driven and thrives on collaboration and, and shared excellence. You know, in our fight to defeat degeneration, we're fueled by that intensity that consistently raises the bar for exceptional performance because we know that convention is no longer going to support just let's try to do what someone else has done. We're going to have to extend ourselves and be willing to take big risks in order to achieve our shared goals. I'm hearing about fast-paced, obviously mission-driven, collaborative and connected, patient-focused. That kind of culture doesn't happen by accident. So how do you create it and sustain it? How do you foster this unique culture? As any organization, you evolve and you have to figure out what is going to sustain you because it can't constantly be just a moving target. You can't move the goalposts. And we are really sustained by anchoring to our values our environment, you know, we experience change over time and, you know, not unlike other organizations, but we've evolved from a very small, privately early stage discovery organization to a publicly traded company, weathered a pandemic, acknowledged social change as the rest of the world has and transitioned into a late stage organization building toward a fully integrated biopharma with commercialization on the horizon. Whoa, that's <laughs> a lot. And As we grow, our values have really served as a unifying focus in how we're going to achieve these goals and allowing for each person to demonstrate these values through their own unique gifts and talents. This is really hard. You know, you also have to go back and I would go back to the, you know, what is culture? I think every company questions this. And so, you know, we think more of culture of the inputs to culture and how to multiply that. And it's the way that we feel and engage and have an impact. And so thus, for us, the culture equation was born. And it's all about, not to get too scientific, but it's all about the substrates. It's, you know, what are those things that add, such as connection and opportunity and growth? What are those things that subtract silos, uncertainty, and ultimately what multiplies? And, you know, for us, that's our values, our purpose and impact. And so we don't necessarily believe that culture can be measured, but we can only think about the inputs. And how do we magnify, you know, those inputs that are going to multiply? I love that concept. Not surprising it's from such a technical scientific company. And I can promise you it's the first time anyone's talked to me about culture and used the word substrate. So gold star for that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let me ask a question that I think might be hard for you to answer, but I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask it anyway, because I believe that one of those things that can be a multiplier for culture is frontline managers, frontline leaders who are really the filter of good and bad for 80% of your workforce. Now, big companies often will have big budgets and big teams of people doing leadership development and all these official programs and everything. You're 450 people, you're very focused on the science. And I'm guessing you don't have all those resources that other companies have. So how do you think about the role of the frontline leader and what are you doing to support them? 
some of this is just born out of, again, you're right, you make do with what you have. And I think that was the origin of this is really, we just embrace a relatively flat hierarchical structure and focus more on this fallen approach. We win together. It's a shared win state. And this encourages collaboration and engagement and learning across all levels because you end up having early and career leaders and project teams with those who have more experience. And it it minimizes that hierarchical structure where you only gain access you know, to a particular level or leader once you are at this stage in the organization. But you know, for us, as we would all sit around a table because you had an early and career scientist with, you know, our CEO, Ryan Lotz, who is a very accomplished and published neurobiologist, that crossover connection and effective not being intimidated, but being um, energized by new ideas and concepts, we really have embraced that based on lack of budget and acknowledge that is how we are going to move together. And that's how we're really effectively going to learn is is not putting into place those levels and those layers. And in fact, you walk outside of the door here and you know, in our open space concept, everyone, no matter where you are, comes into the door and finds a seat. There are no offices. Now I'm sitting here in, you know, in a closed door so we can have a private conversation. But that again is where this learning takes place, that informal exposure and learning. Clearly, we have over time evolved what is the framework of what we call everything is a mountain reference to us. So don't be surprised here, but <laughs> a people leader trek where we embrace that every individual is a leader either of self, of project, of team, or function, and devised workshops that are appropriate that people can engage in. I'll give you an example of what that lays out, though. One example, emotional intelligence. You know, we have learned from Kinnaman and many others who, who have brilliantly laid out the framework of emotional intelligence, but we brought in all of our leaders together um, and as you know, cross-functional teams, and each person would say, this is how I experience empathy. This is how I experience motivation. And we just took those models and pulled them apart and just practically said, this is how we do it. How do you do it? And that experiential exchange, that has served as a template for you know, how we engage with our frontline managers of demystifying of what it takes to evolve in career, but doing it together. So it is a shared win state for us. I love that shared win state. How are you collecting feedback or data about culture, employee experience, employee engagement? Are you doing um, employee voice surveys or other things? Yes, but I'm going to break that down. We just really feel strongly that in order to get insightful inputs and or feedback, it's going to come through trust. We spend probably more time building and engaging in, you know, how are our relationships of trust? That's when you get the real benefit of people telling the truth. And so much of our focus is building relationships so that, you know, as we exchange in in one-on-ones and within project teams, occasional surveys, we don't do many surveys or through uh, focus groups, we get really meaningful insights. And so this collection is really because people trust I know there is a concept of safe space and other. It's because I know your character. Um, I have a connection with you and I have confidence in you as a capable person. Our approach to soliciting and engaging in feedback is all the time and through every form that we possibly can. Yeah, that's great. We've been talking about, you know, different programs and measurement. You know, is there any particular initiative that you're most happy about or that you're pleased with the results or just anything you want to put the spotlight on? Yes. 
you know, it's not like everything is awesome. You know, my husband once, who's an English teacher for many years, he said, do you realize the true definition of awesome? You overuse it. And it's, <laughs> be careful. And I would say, oh, there's so many awesome things I could talk about. Very specific. And, and maybe instead of proud, I would say grateful for the acknowledgement and the formation of our unity and diversity team. Now, granted, over the course of time, we have absolutely invested in and embraced having a diverse and inclusive environment as a result of, you know, events. Let's go back in time, you know, even around George Floyd, we recognize the opportunity to bring employees together. And this was, you know, born out of employees saying we want to come together and unify and express, you know, our our unique feelings and our personal experiences relative to these social changes and dynamics. And from that came this very special employee-led and focused group of individuals who carry the torch on how are we going to invest in a future diversified workforce? And that is through our STEM efforts. It's also through education by having external speakers come in and talk about their experiences from gender, ethnicity, identity, and what challenges they've experienced and how they're moving the needle, as well as community involvement and engagement. And we could have maybe a forced and or a top-down approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I believe there is value in that structure. I also have seen, and we've run the experiment in this unity and diversity team, which extends out and broadens to our entire employee population, where this organic and real and authentic and just, hey, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, this causes me a reason to want to speak out and to get others, you know, perspective. This has been something that I'm so grateful for a group of individuals inside the organization to foster and lead and also to, in mind, keep sight of our, you know, why we're here is to defeat a generation, our patient connection team. Again, a group of employees that based on their their focus and their roles and responsibilities help us to engage with patients, not just of the patient advocacy type, but just how are we personally investing in our communities in disease awareness, raising money, as well as our science and supporting you know these opportunities uh, for patients and even our own experiences as being impacted by the diseases that we're treating and sharing those personal stories. So those are two very, very um, important and valuable, I would say, initiatives are just the fabric of Denali. Those are great. Now, Cindy, you know, this is a pretty short format podcast, but I want to hit you with some faster questions that are maybe a little bit more fun, including, you know, if you could wave your magic wand and send all your colleagues a particular book or podcast or even Netflix special, I don't know, and they promised they would consume it, they would take it to heart. Like, what would you send everyone? I am enough. Grace Byers. This is actually a picture book um, for Mm. children, and we don't always have enough time to read. But the essence of really what happens in this book in a world of comparisons is it causes adults or children um, to pause and reflect on our uniqueness and individuality. And the implicit message um, in this children's book is about self-worth and a growth mindset that can foster a positive attitude towards personal growth. And I resonate with this. It can be read in less than 10 minutes. And basically the sentiment of Grace Byers is we're all here for a purpose. We're more than enough. We just need to believe it. And in fact, we did read this as a company. And so we have a book club and, you know, we've read some big, you know, big, thick, meaty novels. And this is one everybody can connect to. It goes into our families and into our homes. And we all just like, 
I'm enough. I do. I, I have what it takes. I'm, it's all about me. So that would be it. That's great. Great Bonus points. Like you're going to move some copies, especially when they find out, you know, it can be read (laughs) in such few minutes. Now people are going to rush out. And what's something maybe that you know now that you wish you knew when you first became a chief people officer? What would be some advice you'd give to a a younger version of yourself? I happen to be the first employee of the company outside of our co-founders. And when you are at that stage, you do everything. You solve every problem, you do everything. And this is, that's the energy that comes with being in a, an emerging environment. But I really come to appreciate that don't solve every problem yourself. And it often is probably not the best outcome, but when you engage others, it's a much better outcome than on my own. At first, I thought I was being efficient, but more and more, I recognize that the diversity of perspective results in a more lasting and impactful outcome. And I would also say, instead of do everything, do what matters most. Mm. we've evolved and so prioritizing so on that note with priorities we're doing this interview it's uh late september of 23 i'm guessing you're starting to make your priorities for 2024 what are the things you and your team are going to focus on next year leveraging the intellectual horsepower and the capacity capability and the intensity and energy of our existing talent it is really acknowledging and in the ways that we can how can we recognize through formal programs and how can we challenge each employee but also importantly in our new hybrid environment of recognizing and challenging individuals where they reside and being able to have the most impact our world has changed and to again think about where we can have meaningful connections where people are. That means some organizations have called people back, which could be good. Some people said, do it wherever you are. There's a lot of different kind of concoctions of how this is. We want to acknowledge people where they are and make sure that they can have an impact from wherever that might be. So it's really is leveraging and recognizing our existing talent and challenging from where they are. And just related to the company, I mean, we started with you sharing so many important initiatives. Is there anything in particular that you're most excited about when it comes to Denali right now? Without being emotional and or cutting too personal, it's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for decades, we've seen limited success in the development of neurodegenerative diseases. But because of the dedication and focus of these unstoppable Denalians, as we call ourselves, we have four late stage clinical readouts in the coming two to three years with the opportunity to bring effective medicines to patients and have a significant impact on families. And so we're both excited and driven by that prospect. And we are we are unstoppable. I love it. And uh, strong cultures have strong identities. I like it that you reveal Denalians as your internal term for your uh, your colleagues. That's special. Chief People Officer at Denali Therapeutics, Cindy Dunkel, thanks first for the important work your company's doing, and thanks for sharing some of your wisdom and best practices and guidance with your peers here today. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be with you. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Sinios Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting edge platform and world-class training. 
We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org. Thank you.